following message is a presentation of Valley Metro Church, a community of believers dedicated to knowing God and making Him known. This morning, we're looking at a Romans chapter 11. And last week, if you were here, we had a friend of mine, I call him Rabbi, he's really a pastor, but he's a Jewish pastor, Mike Cohen, teach through um, this passage, and he got the first half, and it was really beautiful to hear from a Jewish perspective. It's Romans chapter 11, and it looks like, it looks at how God is dealing with the Jewish people, how he's dealing with the Jewish nation as a race, and where do you and I fit into this big picture of what God is doing? Now, this is important because if you haven't realized that our faith is built on top of the Jewish faith, um, many people think that, you know, the Christian faith was a different faith, and they forget that Jesus was Jewish, and all the apostles were Jewish. I mean, our faith is built on their faith. And so if you were to look at it in, in that way, you could say they were the original, the original tree of faith. God planted a seed through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Moses, through the prophets, and they were the original tree of faith that God began to grow and to groom and to prune and to bear fruit. And then finally, an important day came, the day Messiah came. Jesus, Yahshua, the Jewish Messiah. And when he came, there were quite a few who acknowledged and accepted him. But at large, the nation of Israel rejected him. And the passage was looking at that. And today, if you have your Bibles, it's Romans 11. And we're looking at, uh, starting in verse 23, we're looking at the tree of faith and how this applies to you because you are part of this tree of faith. And if you and I want to grow to fruition, I think we have to understand some realities here. And it also looks like what happened with the Jewish faith who was part of this tree, what happened to them now? And this said last week that since they rejected Messiah, that actually those branches of Jewish people following God, according to scripture, were cut off of the the main tree of faith that God is dealing with. Still has a plan for them. Still has a process. But as a nation, there was a switch to the Gentiles. And Paul says that. I've gone to my own people, they rejected. It says that they were cut off of this tree of faith, if you will. And through faith, us Gentiles, which means people who were not born Jewish, get to be grafted in. Now, I don't know, does anybody in the room know anything about grafting? You guys ever heard of grafting? Okay, the Bible uses the term, it's really cool what grafting is. Grafting is this thing where you can take a a tree and you can take the branch, say this is the branch, right? And you can cut it long ways and you can cut another branch, say it's a lemon tree, you can cut a branch of an orange tree, attach them together, tape it up, you're not going to believe it, but the lemon tree is going to start growing oranges. Is that cool? I mean, you can take a citrus tree, and you can put grapefruit on it, oranges, tangerines, lemons, limes, all on the same tree. You're thinking, is that possible? It is. I've actually seen it done. Christy's uncle has done a lot of that stuff, and when we were out visiting him, he's at this little farm, and he takes his wild um, pear trees that don't grow pears, but it's a wild pear tree. It has an amazing root system, indestructible. You can't kill this tree. And he takes a, a cultured, um, cultivated pear tree, which actually grows great pears, but it's hard to take root in the soil. So he grafted off branches off of the the, the, the good pear tree, to put it on a wild pear tree, and this thing is blooming like you wouldn't believe. So he had some trees that had different fruit on the same tree, 
Some of it comes into fruition at different seasons, but that's what grafting is. And that's important because the Bible says Israel was cut off of the tree because of lack of faith. Gentiles, people who are not Jewish, were grafted into the tree. And basically, what is God's plan for the chosen people that were cut off? Does it end there? And I certainly hope not. We look at scripture, we're going to look at God's master plan on how he wants to graft them back in, but also what does this tree of faith mean to me and you? So starting in verse 23, it says, regarding Israel being cut off, it says, and if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. After all, if you were cut out of an olive tree that is wild by nature, and contrary to nature, were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in. And so that all Israel will be saved, as it is written, that the deliverer will come from Zion, He will turn godlessness away from Jacob, and this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So basically it's saying if Israel believes in Messiah, Israel will get grafted back in again. But now, in the meantime, the text is saying that Israel has experienced a a hardening in part. This is important, a hardening in part. You're thinking, what's going on with a hardening in part? In part means not all Israel. There's people that are Jewish descent making decisions for, to follow Jesus Messiah every day. So it's not the whole nation. It's in part. It's partial. But most of na- the nation of Israel at large, most Jewish people, most people with the Hebrew background and the God of Israel have a hardness in their heart when it comes to the name Jesus, Yahshua. And what I've found is they were told things about Jesus, Yahshua, They were told that he's not the Messiah, maybe by their rabbi. They were told by others, and maybe they look at history where there was some some tension between Christians and Jews, and they say that's a different faith, not realizing that the fullness of their own faith is really through the Messiah. If you have Jewish friends, ask them the simple question. Do you know the number one single thing that your entire nation is waiting on? Only one, only one thing. What is it? Most of your Jewish friends will say, I don't know which is really unfortunate. Because if you and I were waiting on one single event in history, we ought to know what it is. And for your Jewish friends, the one single thing that they're waiting for, according to their own scripture, their prophecy, is Messiah. When will he come? And so some Jews have stopped asking asking the question, and it's the golden question for them. But when they start asking the question, they will look at what scripture says about Messiah, where he'll come from, who he'll be, what he'll do, He'll take away the sins from his people. That's what he's going to do. That's his number one mission. And they'll realize that Yahshua, Jesus of Nazareth, fulfilled all this stuff. They'll realize that the Messiah can't come from what is now Palestine. Nazareth is all Arab right now. Their Messiah is not going to be able to come from there. They're going to realize the Messiah can't go up to the temple because the temple doesn't exist anymore. They're going to realize he can't go through the golden gates. They're sealed shut. And prophecy says, of course they're sealed shut because the Messiah has already entered through them. So they're going to realize when they ask this golden question. But in the meantime, there's a hardness of heart. So when is the time? When is the time that Israel is going to get included back in and grafted in? Because it's going to happen. And it says right now 
They have a hardness of heart towards Jesus and the gospel. Not all of them, but most of them. But someday it's going to change. He says, here's the mystery. You want to know when? Paul's saying, don't be ignorant of this. The church needs to know this. Believers need to know when is this paradigm shift going to happen? When is this veil going to get lifted? When is Israel going to be able to see? And it's an important one because it's a prophetic one. It's an end times prophecy that the church needs to take hold of. And this prophecy, as all God's prophecy, they work on God's timetable. And it's important because there's other things out there that you read about or hear about. And you need to understand that end times prophecy is based on God Almighty's prophecy alone. Not based on Nostradamus, not based on the Mayan calendar, which we all go, oh no, it ends in 2012, now what? You know? Not based on any of that stuff. It's based on God's calendar, God's timetable. And so after, this is when the Bible says, the Jewish people as a culture, as a nation, as a race are going to change their view and go, whoa, we missed it. Jesus was the Messiah. When's that going to happen? Where they're going to be coming to faith in droves? When's that going to happen? It says, after the full number of Gentiles has come in. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute, because this involves you. After a full number of Gentiles comes to faith in Jesus, bam, it's like a light switch. It's going to flip in heaven. And, and there's going to be a paradigm shift in life as we know it. According to scripture, there's going to be a rapture of the church. We're getting into end times things, but everyone's trying to guess when, how, where. How many Gentiles accept Jesus is a major indicating factor of when the prophetic calendar switches to a whole nother mode. It's radical. When is that fullness happen? What number is that? What's the fullness of Gentiles? How many people on this planet of 6 billion people need to believe in the resurrected Jesus before that's the number, bam, and the switch flips. Maybe the next time you're sharing faith with your neighbor, you're out there mowing the lawn, and you're talking to you know, Billy next door, hey, Billy, what's going on? Yeah, how's things? You know, and Start sharing some faith. Maybe right then. Maybe Billy next door is the last person on the list. Do you ever think about that? Maybe if you're at work and Sally in the next cubicle matter comes up, you start praying and she's open to faith. And Maybe she's the last one. I don't know when. But it's kind of like if you get the visual of that big, um, they have that big national debt uh, clock. Have you guys ever seen it on the news? National debt. I mean, it's a bad topic. I don't want to ruin your lunch over the national debt. But there's this big clock and it's, I don't know, $12, billion, $12 trillion or something crazy, $15 trillion. But... There's a number, and it's, the numbers keep moving. So there's a clock, and it's counting stuff. In heaven, there's a big clock like that. There's a big counter up in heaven before God's throne. He sees the number. We, I don't know what the clock is. I don't know what the number needs to be. But God does. And there's a big clock. And when the fullness of Gentiles, when the full number comes in, bam, there's a light switch flipped a whole different dimension as we know it because the Bible says this is end times, this is prophecy. This is when there's gonna be uh, the rapture of the church, the Jewish, it's gonna be radical stuff, end times. And when you look at other prophecies in the Bible, folks, we are, you were born in this generation for a, a reason. This shouldn't scare you, this should fire you up. You could have been born in a generation where there was virtually no change, where you lived your whole life and you didn't really even hear about an invention, you know? Could have been like that. 
But life is spinning at a whirlwind speed and progression is happening at an alarming rate. And Chronicles says in the end times, one of the signs will go is that knowledge, information and knowledge will quickly speed up, which you couldn't have said that in any generation except for this one. And it also says that people will go to and fro rapidly. That's the way it was written down by the prophet. He didn't even understand what that meant. And here we're flying planes with people all over the place, zipping around and no other generation even understood this concept. But these are some of the signs is when the fullness of Gentiles come in. And so um, that's really important. By the way, statistics show right now that there is about uh, 33,000 people a day, a day, accepting Christ in just, just China and Africa alone. That's a lot of people accepting the Lord. Now, Europe, some people are leaving the church. And in America, there's some people that had bad understanding of, of faith and you know but statistically globally there are more and more people accepting Christ and the reality is that clock like the national debt clock but in a good way is rolling forward at a pretty exponential pace of over 30,000 people a day and so that's radical stuff but with with the Jewish people they rejected but when the fullness of Gentiles comes in there's going to be a whole bunch that begin to accept him and maybe at the next harvest crusade if you guys were there at the last harvest crusade one night with 7,000 people who came forward. Maybe it's a night like that. Whoa, 7,000. Just went over the number. We just went over the limit. Bam, everything changes. Going to hear some trumpets. Is that what I thought it was? It sure was. You know, radical stuff. So it's going to be the completion of the Gentiles. And even Jesus said in Matthew 24, where he talks about end times prophecy, he says one of the indicators will be this gospel first is going to make it to the ends of the earth. Then the end comes, is what Jesus said. The gospel never made it to the end of the earth in previous generations, but they've got the gospel printed in virtually every known language now, and they have, they're distributing Bibles to tribes that are you know, in the middle of the Amazon and in Africa, and just, I mean, all North Pole, South Pole, all over the place. There's missionaries around the globe. So are we reaching that in our day? I believe we are, church, and that's why it's important to come to terms with. But until then, Israel has this veil of limitation. And it's a principle that they can't really see through the veil. Almost like the bride coming down the aisle. Yes, she's beautiful, but I can't really, can't really see. I mean, really, until the veil's lifted off. And then you're like, wow. At least that was my experience with my bride. I trust that was yours as well. Amen. Um, but the veil is a limiting veil. You can't really see all the way until the veil is lifted. And that's when you get in on the beauty. And with Israel, they don't see they don't see. If you're interested in more, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 talks more at length on this exact topic on how even when the Old Testament is read, Israel still has a veil. That even the prophecies about Messiah, they're not really seeing it. They're not really getting it. And so there's going to be a time where God is going to unveil them. They're gonna, he's going to uncover so they're going to see with clarity, with definition. And that's a beautiful snapshot in 2 Corinthians 3. Regarding the Jewish people, he moves on in verse 28 and says, As far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies on your account, but as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. For God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. You might want to underline that in your Bible, verse 29. God's gifts and his call are irrevocable. That means he doesn't give them and yank them back again. Um, just as you who were at one time disobedient to God have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience, so they too have become disobedient in order that 
they may now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. For God has bound all men over to disobedience so that he may have mercy on them all. Basically saying when Israel is willing to change, when when this veil gets lifted, they're going to get grafted in. God still has a plan for the chosen people. When you read the New Testament and it talks about Israel, don't think, some make the mistake, they call it replacement theology. I'll just say this briefly. They think it doesn't mean Israel anymore. They're done. It means us when it says Israel. No, it doesn't mean us. When it says Israel, it means Israel. And when it says us, the believers, the church, the ecclesia, it means us. And so don't, don't think, don't start erasing Israel in your Bible thinking it doesn't mean Israel. It means Israel and God's still got a plan for them and his gifts and his calling are irrevocable because God doesn't change his mind and God doesn't change his love. He loves people and he doesn't change his mind or his love about what he's doing. And so regarding this tree of faith of Israel, we're switching gears right now. Regarding this tree of faith, started with Israel, you and I got grafted in. And through Messiah, you and I are in that tree if you're a believer in the resurrected Jesus today and hopefully bearing some fruit in that tree. Um, but because healthy trees have fruit. Would you guys agree? Healthy trees have fruit. And that's the indicator, Jesus said, of a tree is you know it by its fruit. So if you and I are in the tree of faith, so to speak, uh, beginning with Israel, going back to the patriarchs and, and coming up through Messiah Jesus and the fullness of the Spirit, there's going to be an expression through that tree of faith. And Paul closes this chapter out with this little, it's called a doxology. It's a He's writing and he just got to stop and praise him. Paul's the kind of guy, he, he knows how big his God is. He knows how passionate he is for the living God. And in the middle of this writing, he goes on this, hold on a second while I praise him for a second. He's like, I just got to just praise him right now. And he's teaching through this letter and he just stops and starts praising God right at the end of this. And I think that's important because I would suggest as a believer who's in this tree of life, there ought to be expressions of praise in your life and in mine like this. If we can't have these expressions of praise to God, if we can't have these expressions of gratitude, of love, of dependence, of, of just calling out, then, then we got to check ourselves regarding being in this tree of faith. But Paul's like, it's, it's an expression. He just has to just kind of burst out right here. And it's what he believes on display. And let's read how he says this because there's some really cool stuff in here. I want to close with us thinking uh, on some of these points. In verse 33, he goes out with this kind of this praise. And he says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God! Exclamation point. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out! Exclamation point. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever, exclamation point, amen. Paul's like, I can't even finish this thing without praising him. And I want to talk about this because this is important. To Paul, God isn't just God out there. God is God Almighty. He's God Almighty. He's not just, well, yeah, the Lord, you know, he's out there and hopefully he hears my prayer somewhere and... Maybe he's busy with things on the other side of the globe. No, that's not God to Paul. He's God Almighty. He's the almighty, powerful God. My prayer is that 
He's God Almighty to you and I as well. I mean God Almighty. Can you say that with me right now? God Almighty. Can we say it like we mean it? God Almighty. One more time. God Almighty. I hope he's God Almighty to you because he's God Almighty to Paul. And this is where the paradigm shift comes in in Paul's life. Paul knows that people have a big problem and a big struggle when their God is too small. When God is too small, there's an enormous struggle. There are blocks in your life. There are blocks of faith that will never get past when our God is too small. In the movie The Avengers, an illustration, Hulk, there's a guy who thinks he's a god, and Hulk just takes him and smashes him and says, puny god, and walks away. That's a humorous illustration, but the reality is there are believers who have somehow minimized the power and potential and capacity and the all-knowing, all-powerful, always-present God Almighty. And because of it, it will limit their faith, limit their growth. And being in this tree of life that we were grafted into, this tree of faith, for some reason, the limb start, stops growing. And it stops growing because faith stops. And when faith stops, we stop. And the reason faith stops and the reason we stop really is because somehow God is no longer God Almighty. Please understand, he is God Almighty. And Paul knows his struggle. And if, if our God is smaller than the God of the Bible, we're seriously missing out on the whole point. We've got to understand the word of God so we know the God of the word. And we've got to know how big he is and how powerful and capable and, and broad and, and expansive is his love and his will and his hope and future for our lives and how he'll never leave. We've got to know that, church. We've got to know the, how almighty God Almighty is. Because this is, these are some of the things that happen when you and I have an inadequate view of the Almighty. When you and I have an inadequate view of the Almighty, your faith will stop and so will mine. When you and I have an inadequate, inadequate view of the Almighty, we stop growing in that tree of faith. We, we, we look back and say, well, back then in 1992, uh, know, that's when I was really... Like in the fact, that's when things were going on back then. What happened since then? I don't know. There must be an inadequate view of the Almighty because faith stopped growing and our growth got stunted and we're still at the same place instead of growing on to fruition. It's really, really important. Um, so Paul says a couple of things here I want to mention to you and I want us to take some of these to heart because it has to do with, I think, our view of the Almighty in a couple of dimensions he, he says this closing, he says he praises God for his wisdom, his knowledge, and his judgments. And then he asks you and me a couple of questions. This is what Paul says in this closing. The, 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 the thing he says, his wisdom, his knowledge, and his judgments are so amazing, so profound, we shouldn't second guess him. Because God's wisdom, his judgments, and his, and his uh, knowledge are profound. His ways are above ours as much as that heaven is above the earth. You can't even equate, can't even compare can't even reach the magnitude of God and his understanding. And so I think that's important that when we pray, that you and I don't counsel God. How many have caught yourself counseling God? Can we have some more honesty in the house of God this morning? Amen. Like God, apparently you didn't see what's going on over here, but there's really a problem I think I need to let you know about. 
you know, and we kind of bring these things before God like he's missing out. God's not sleeping at the wheel, family. He, he sees everything. But sometimes we're like, well, Lord, I would do. I mean, what you probably ought to do um, is this, you know, God doesn't need our counsel. The Bible says he knows what we need before we ask. Isn't that cool? That's an all-knowing God right there. So we do ask. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. We're supposed to ask. It is good to ask God. We are supposed to make our prayers, petitions, and requests known with praise and thanksgiving. We're supposed to do that. So when you ask, do ask God. And when you ask him, pray in faith, believing, Ask God to move mountains and then trust him at his will beyond that. Rather than God, apparently you don't know what's going on down here and I need to inform you of some stuff that I've personally seen. I've personally experienced things that you might have missed out. No, don't, don't try to um, counsel God. The Bible, this is Paul saying in his last praise, who can even counsel him? We can't counsel God. God can counsel us. We can't counsel him. He, he says this other profound thing and I think this is important because this has to do a lot with I think our worldview on how we see God and how we see faith, the lenses that we have on. It says, who can repay him? Who can repay God? Now, that's a pretty broad statement, and we can even spend a week on this because people have different views of what God deserves, what God doesn't deserve, what I deserve, and why, God, you're doing this to me, and since I've done this for you, and, and, and there's, there's this kind of mindset that we have uh, that we, we kind of think sometimes God owes us. I've done this for this long. Why didn't you do this, God? You know, like, like we kind of forget, I think, who God is. But he's asking a very pointed question here. Who can, who can repay God? Now, that's an important thing to look at, repaying God. Um, I don't think we talk about it, but I think we, we think about these things sometimes. What God really we deserve or should have, or why aren't we getting what we think we deserve? And, and haven't I done for you, God, what you wanted me to do for you in return, like we're doing some barter exchange with God? And Paul's going here on this. I want to talk about that for a second because I think it's important enough. Even our tithes and offerings that we bring before the Lord, that's not repaying God. I want to be clear. When we bring tithes and offerings before God, that even that's not repaying him. Some 20 years ago, I realized what the Bible says, that the earth is his and everything in it. And I realized that it all belongs to the Lord. And since it all belongs to him, I can't repay him. It's his. If it all belongs to him, it's his. And so I, I agreed, based on scripture and based on trust, some 20 years ago, to begin to tithe, give God tithes, a tenth, and offerings, and I've never looked back. So for 20 years now, plus, in our marriage of almost 13, 14 years, Christy and I, again, never, never stop. It's just a, it's, it's a done thing. We even do it in a way, and I'm just going to say this briefly, but we um, are online checking. We pay our rent, checks, mortgage, uh, you know, whatever you pay, a lot of it is online. And so the very first check we issue is kingdom of God. Boom. Automated. Why? Because... It's a first fruit, it belongs to him. We're not repaying God. I want to be clear. We are not repaying God because we cannot repay God. His grace is abundant, it's immeasurable, the hope and if we can't repay him, and so we don't even think of it that way. But it also says in Malachi that if you if you wanna, it says actually turn to God. And this is the concept in Malachi chapter three. If we want to return to God, this is what he told Israel. He says this. This is God's terms. He says, Stop robbing me and start trusting me. You're thinking, what? Robbing you? 
How this goes to this repay mindset with God, this barter exchange kind of thing that we, everything in life, we buy, we buy stuff and we get product for what we purchase and we, we kind of go through life this way. We buy insurance, we buy things at Trader Joe's and with God, like, what are you talking about? And, and God says, well, you're actually robbing me. And, and the prophet's like, how are we robbing you? And God says, in tithes and offerings, that's how we rob him. And this is God. I'm not making this up. God's saying, because it all belongs to him, and the first fruits, even back to Cain and Abel. Abel, this is before the law. It has nothing to do with the law. It happened, Cain and Abel, Abraham, all before the law, even after Jesus said you should continue in the tithe. And, and Paul in, in, into the church of Corinth said, put a portion of your income in proportion with your income aside and, and, and give to the kingdom. So I just want to say this principle of, of trusting God um, and uh, honoring God is never repaying God, but it is beginning to trust Him. You and I cannot repay God, but we can begin to trust Him. And God honors those who honors Him. And it even says in Malachi, test me on this. Nowhere else in the Bible does it say test me. Nowhere. But God says, if you'll test me, I'll show you. And I'm going to move on to some other topics, but the reason I want to clarify this is because this just goes, it exposes something that's very close to our hearts. If you have a home church that you go to and you're visiting today, this applies to you. When you go home to the place that's the storehouse in your life, where you grow and where you are fed and where you're hopefully you're part of a life-giving church, it's what, this is how it applies. Bring to the storehouse so there may be food in my house, God says, so things are met. This is the kingdom. If you're not in a church and you're searching around, I remember there was a season where I wasn't in a church. I was looking around for a church and I, I just committed the the next like three, four months to, to, to Bibles in, in China is, is where my tithe went because I have to give to the kingdom and it's all his and I, I didn't have a church and I'm like, okay, well, that's where it's going now. There's been other seasons where it went other, but the, but the kingdom principle is bring the whole tithe into my storehouse and watch what I will do. I will say this because when we talk about repaying God, we kind of have this, what do I owe you and what do, you, what do I get back and what do I... And, and the, the God Almighty doesn't function on that principle, but he does say this, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And if you put me first in these areas, seek first the kingdom of God. If you put me first, watch what I will do. So much happens that way. Really, really important. So it's a first fruits things. You can't repay him, but you can start trusting. Um, and I say this because we have these certain blocks about how big God is. And here's the tie-in on the tree of faith where you and I fit into this tree of faith. This is where you and I grow or stop growing. We come to these blocks and go, er, I'm not going past that. And a lot of times, some people do it with finances. And as a result, they never stepped over a line of trust with God. And because of it, they've never stopped growing in that area. Some will even have a poverty mentality of thinking, well, maybe it's supposed to always be tough and I'm supposed to struggle my whole life. And, and I'm not talking about prosperity doctrine here. I'm simply holding God at his word that he says, if you do these things, I will honor your first fruit. So these are some things. Um, and, and some of us here today, in fact, if uh, the worship team could come up, that would be great. We're going to close with some reflection, but I want you to think about some of these things, if we could, please. Um, what area in your life, because you are in a tree of faith, and God wants you to grow and to grow and to grow in this tree of faith. What area in this tree of faith have you stopped growing? What area in this tree of faith do you have a block, some block that you stopped moving forward in?
For some of you, maybe it is in the, in the finances where that's mine, not yours, and I'm not stepping over that line. Categorically, God, this part of my life, maybe that's a block for some of you. And even the topic makes you cringe. When I'm sharing this morning, some of you are really not really liking that. And I'd say if I shared this today and some of you are like, really have like serious issue with it, I would suggest that you do some business with God and say, why won't I? with you. Why, why won't I trust you in these areas? That's a personal thing with God. Let's move on to some other topics really quickly because I think they're important. There's blocks. We have these blocks and we stop moving forward in faith. For some, it's relationships where things have happened in the past or maybe in your present you know, relationships with friends or maybe even in your marriage where you think things will never change. And you draw conclusions and these conclusions are based on experience rather than what does God Almighty say? Because if I'm going to walk in faith to what God Almighty says, then I'm, I'm, I'm going to grow through this. And God's going to continue to bear fruit through this. But some would say, well, you don't know my husband. Or you don't know my wife. And you don't know what I'm dealing with. The Word of God gives clarity that even if you're married to an unbeliever, this is the way you live and bear fruit. And if you take God at His Word and you stop, get rid of that block where your friend said, oh yeah, well this is the way I filed for divorce, and your other friend says, you don't need to put up with that. Those are blocked. Get rid of those. Walk with the king. Walk in his word. Take it to heart, what the living God says. And when you walk in faith to the promises of God, you will find victory. You will bust through the blocks. The blocks in your life and in mine will only be broken through with faith. It's like a football player alignment, putting the head down in faith and running into it headlong. That's the way you break through a block. You don't just look at it and think about it and wonder about it and walk away. You put your head down in faith and you move forward because faith has feet. Faith has feet and faith moves forward. And when it doesn't, we stop growing. For some of you this morning, it might be areas of worry or, or fear or, or stress. When Jesus is saying, look, if you can trust me and abide in me, you're going to bear a lot of fruit. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. You can have joy in your life instead of worry and fear and, 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 and stress that God's not saying, hey, look, I put that there. He's not the author of that. And so some of these things are areas where, where it's going to take faith in new levels and new commitment to God at His Word. For some of you, maybe areas of healing. In fact, our, our prayer team is going to be coming up to pray for any of these areas. But to, I want to encourage you today, church, um, as a family, if there's an area of a block, don't let it be a block any longer. Be forthright. Confess it to God. There's power in confession. You know, let's, Jesus said the sick need a physician. And we all need the physician. Would you guys agree amen on that? Amen. We all need the physician. No one's arrived. No one has it down. And if anyone thinks they are, they're deceived and that's prideful. We're being sanctified till the day we see him face to face. But these are blocks that we have in our life from past, from present, from experience that limit our growth in this tree of faith and the fruition God wants to do. So if you need healing emotional or physical uh, in any of these kind of areas, because many of us end up living by what we can do instead of what God can do. And I want to say something, family. He can do immeasurably and abundantly more than all we can ask or imagine. It's time for blocks to go away. It's time for the hindrances that are holding back your faith to grow away. It's time to bear fruit exponentially in a whole new arena and level in life on, on every capacity. And God is willing to do it. The just shall live by faith. 
And we don't stop living by faith. And if you're a believer in the resurrected Jesus this morning, you're called the just. And we're called to live by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, the word says. Anything that is not done in faith is sin, the Bible says. The only thing that matters is faith expressing itself through love, is what the word tells us. Faith is huge. The journey started by faith, it continues by faith, and it will end by faith. And so I want to close in prayer right now as our prayer team comes up. I just want to encourage you to not look at areas of blocks and say, I don't have any and I'm good, but to really do some business with God and say, you know what? Let this be a summer of liberation. Let this be a summer of freedom. Let this be a time of of breakthrough in exponential growth in God's kingdom. This has been a presentation of Valley Metro Church. To hear more messages or to support future podcasts, please visit valleymetrochurch.com.